You can open your Bibles to John 17, 1 through 26, and the passage will be on the screen behind me as well. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm pr not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they might be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thanks, Emily. You can be seated. Well, good morning. Uh, keep your Bibles open uh, with John 17 this morning. 
And if you're new to the Parks Church, here's what we typically do. We preach through books of the Bible, and uh, we are making our way through First and Second Samuel. However, every January, uh, we pause. Uh, we pause and do a four-week series around uh, our heart as whole life disciples. Really, it's a, a foundational time for us as a community. Um, and so if you are new, th- these are great four great weeks for you to be here, to be like, okay, what is this church all about, right? Um, and so we're going to be unpacking those things. And, and uh, some of you, like, th- this microphone is not one of those new things that we're, I'm going to unpack. My head mic went out in the 9 a.m., so I'm not like changing over to this, but it does make my voice deeper, so I might just do that. Um, but we, we unpack over these four weeks what it looks like for us, specifically as the Parks Church, to be a community who is faithful to the mission Jesus has given the church. Now, the mission Jesus has given the church has not changed in 2,000 years. That mission is to go and make disciples. But this morning, what I want to do is, is, is look at that mission and look at the priority. And I, I believe John 17, um, that is known as the high priestly prayer from Jesus. And so this is the longest portion of Scripture where we find a prayer from Jesus that we can examine. And you can tell a lot by someone's heart by listening to their prayers. And for this one, we get to read into and, and look into Jesus' prayer here in John 17. And what follows John 17 is the cross. This is the cross. And so at this point, Jesus has had three um, plus years or so of ministry with his disciples, and it will, will culminate with him uh, really being alone upon the cross. And so we're going to lay the foundation for our whole life discipleship series, which we're calling this, this series uh, Glory and Good uh, from John 17. And John 17, the content of it and the, the, the heart of Jesus toward his disciples um, is so beautiful. And I pray that you're struck by that. And it's not just beautiful to the, 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 the 12 guys who he called to himself, but it's beautiful to his disciples today. The disciples who sit in this room, those who would profess that they are followers of Jesus. And in many ways, to start the year in January, we're kind of um, calling out our own hearts, if you will, collectively, individually, and as a church to go, okay, are we actually disciples of Jesus? Are we really following Jesus, or potentially are we just operating as casual church attenders who self-identify as Christians, right? We don't want to be the latter, okay? We want to be whole life disciples following and pursuing Jesus. So we're going to look at the words of Jesus. If we're going to say we're followers of Jesus, we want to look at the words of Jesus to set the priority for this church and for our lives. And so John 17 does that. What is the priority and what is the goal of whole life discipleship? Really, I could say this. What is the goal of everything? Here it is. The glory of God. The glory of God. Now, pay attention here in verses 1 through 5. Again, you have your Bible. Keep it open. We're going to go through it. Jesus, in verse 4, he says this. After saying glory already three times at this point. He says, I, Jesus, glorified you, Father, on earth. There's the point. Jesus goes, listen, the reason I am here, the point and the purpose why I'm on this earth is this reason. I glorify you, Father. That's why you you put me here, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, notice here, notice here that the glory that Jesus is talking about is not detached from work. It's not detached from something specific that Jesus did and was going after, okay? It wasn't that he just kind of floated, you know, as this divine being around. No, there was a work that the Father absolutely defined for him, an assignment he gave to him. And Jesus goes, I glorified you by fulfilling that assignment, by doing the work that you gave me. 
In verse 5, and look at this. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, let that blow your mind for just a second. Jesus goes, I've now glorified you by doing the task and the work that you've called me to do. Now, glorify me, Father, with the glory that I shared with you before the foundations of the earth. So if anyone is qualified to talk about glory and the glory of God, let me tell you who it is. Jesus. And so if there's ever any question or you could get into maybe a talk or a discussion around was Jesus really divine, you can point to verses like this in another place actually in chapter 17 where Jesus says, I was with you. I shared the glory with you before the foundations of the earth. And so if anybody can talk about glory, let me tell you who it is. It's Jesus. Because he shared in the glory of God with the Father and the Holy Spirit as one unified, our triune God. And so Jesus understands glory. Okay, that's great, Kyle. Um, Then what is the glory of God? What is the glory of God? That's the question before us this morning. Um, Now, the phrase glory of God is something that you will get a lot of head nods in church over. Yeah. Yeah. The glory of God. That's right. It's something you'll get a lot of thumbs up over, a lot of applause. You'll see that phrase get a lot of play on church websites, right? We do everything for the glory of God, right? This glory of God, glory of God. And listen, that's correct. That's not wrong. But my fear is we have a shallow view of what the glory of God actually is. What the glory of God actually means when Jesus, when it rolls off Jesus' lips so repeatedly here in John chapter 17. Now, to be fair to all of us, the glory of God is one of the most complex, comprehensive, and exhaustive things that the Bible says about our God. And I don't just say that to give me a caveat as a preacher, okay? The glory of God is not concrete. It's not this thing that we can go, okay, here it is. Here is the glory of God. However, from the beginning of our Bible all the way to the end, and some of you, you, you've maybe made New Year's resolutions. I'm going to get in the Word more, which is awesome. Something you're going to notice from the beginning of your Bible all the way to the end is that there is this consistency of the glory of God like nothing else. And so this goal of Jesus going, the goal of everything, the goal of my life, the purpose in all of it, makes sense in light of the teaching of Scripture throughout that all works have their ultimate goal to display God's glory. And so putting a definition even around God's glory is next to impossible because it's not concrete, like I said. But I want to take two really smart guys and give you their definition, all right? And the first one is, is, is a dead guy, Herman Bovink. He's a Dutch reformer. And uh, his concise definition of the glory of God is this. The glory of the Lord is the splendor and brilliance that is inseparably associated with all of God's attributes and his self-revelation in nature and grace, the glorious form in which he everywhere appears to his creatures. You get it? Right? Can we just close up shop there? We good? Right? No, even, even still that has this kind of like nebulous like All attributes, everything, all-encompassing, both what God does and who God is, that's his glory. Right? It's supposed to be that way. Now, let's look at a a modern pastor and author, one who I think has written most and talked most about glory in in terms of my opinion, um, John Piper. 
He says this, he says, The term glory of God in the Bible refers in general to the beauty of God's manifold perfections. It is an attempt to put into words what God is like in his magnificence and purity. It refers to his fullness of all that is good. Remember that. His perfection of all that is good, his fullness of all that is good. The term might focus on his different attributes from time to time, like his power, wisdom, mercy, and justice. Because each one is awesome in its magnitude and quality. But in general, God's glory is the perfect harmony of all his attributes into one infinitely beautiful being. Got it? Bob Inc. and Piper, right? They're even struggling to capture in words. And these are word guys what God's glory is. But something that was consistent in both of their definitions is this. All God's attributes working together in harmony and put on display. That's God's glory. What are, what are God's attributes? Have you ever thought about that? Now, let me pause right here before we get into God's attributes. Um, I realize it's January 8th. And many of you think even coming into church or a service like this, that the focus is going to be on like self-improvement. And maybe even like, and, and, and like, okay, Kyle, I need you to teach me seven ways to study my Bible better, right? No, let me tell you what we're going to major on this morning and every other morning. The point and purpose of it all. Glory. God's glory. So the best thing for your spiritual life is not a seven-step process in how you do something better. The best thing for your spiritual life is to get a hold of the glory of God. To understand who he actually is as disclosed through his word. And so this morning, what we want to do as we set a foundation, we want to lift our eyes to the magnitude, to the glory of our God. He's like, God, but you just said we can't grasp it. You just said it's, 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 it's like inexhaustible. It's so complex. It's, it's, it's extensive and, and all of those things. Listen, just because we can't fully grasp it with our minds doesn't mean we don't pursue it with our minds and our hearts. That's what God calls us to do, is to look at him and see his glory, to understand his glory, to lean into his glory. Then let me tell you, everything below that will find its proper place. And so the very thing maybe you're missing is not just more scripture time, even though that's probably good, just prayer time, more community, better. To, no, maybe what you're missing, maybe what you have in your life is a short-sighted or shallow view of who God actually is. And so the foundation-setting whole life discipleship series for us is going, no, let's lift our eyes. Let's get a picture of who our God is. Let's get a picture, if we might, this morning of just an ounce of his glory and stand in awe of that. And Jesus goes, that's why I came, because that's the purpose and goal of all things. Okay, back to God's attributes. Um, these are the characteristics and qualities of our God. Now, this is not an extensive list, but this is a list that our Bible gives us. And so if we're going to understand the glory of God, you've got to understand these, right? And I'm not going to preach through them. You can see the list behind me. But what both Bavink, Piper, and the Bible, right, most importantly, say about God is that his glory is the sum total of all these things working beautifully and for our good and his glory. So every single attribute on that list, God is perfectly glorious in. Right? He's glorious in love. He's glorious in holiness and in justice and all these attributes. And what it means is that God is without rival. He's without, without anybody who can oppose or deflect anything but glory from him. He's perfect. He's good. He's beautiful. And the sum total of all those are. Let that just sit on you for a minute. 
Because some of you are stressing about, okay, what do I do next? What's my, what's my next step in life? What, 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 what about this area or this question? Listen, you look at an attribute like God's omniscience, right? His all-knowing. You look, you look at something like his omnipotence, all those omnis, right, that we're familiar with, but we really don't know the theology behind them, right? That he's all-powerful, that he's transcendent, right? You reign above it all. When you look at those and you go, God, you're perfect in every single one of those. Let me tell you, all of those questions and angst that find way into our hearts and our lives, we can begin to take a deep breath on. Because we go, God, you are above it all. Every attribute, every good thing, the sum total of who you are sit above everything, including my life. And those questions I have, those pursuits, those struggles, those tensions, God, you're above it. And so I rest in that. I trust in that hope. Um, there's a prophet uh, in the Old Testament. His name is Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, however you want to say it. Both are appropriate, all right? He's looking for, there's a nation who's in trouble, Israel. And the prophet Habakkuk, in chapter 2, he goes, you know, I'm going to give you hope, Israel. Because if you look at the situation you're in right now, you're in exile. You're struggling with culture. Things around you are pressing in. It looks like things are deteriorating at a fast rate. But I want to give you hope. And look at what Habakkuk does, the prophet Habakkuk does to the nation of Israel, what he says to them in Habakkuk 2, verse 14. This is a very familiar verse, but it's said in one of the darkest moments in Israel's history. Here's the hope that the prophet gives them. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the, what? Glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So Habakkuk tells this nation that's struggling, that's in bondage, that's confused all over the place. He goes, you want to know the ultimate hope? Here is how this whole thing ends. The whole thing ends with God's glory covering the whole earth, every creation, every bit of created, every corner, every square inch, every nook and every crevice. It will be filled with the glory of God. That's how this thing ends. God's glory reigning supreme and not a little sprinkle of it. But as the waters cover the earth, meaning infinitely deep, infinitely wide, infinitely powerful, his glory will be on display. That's how it ends. Church, that message is the same message to us today. That how this thing ends is God's glory being displayed over the whole earth, encompassing all of it, every inch. Your life, my life, the lives that surrender to Jesus, the lives that don't surrender to Jesus. His glory will encompass all of it. I had a temptation just to end the sermon right there. Just to go, let's let that set in. That's the God who we're talking about. That's the God that we were just singing about in all his glory and all his power. That's the God you're coming before when you open your Bible tomorrow morning. When you pray at dinner tonight, that's the glorious God that you're lifting your voice to. Even knowing that right now in this, some of you are like, okay, but what, what else? What else? Kyle, where are the handles? There's the handles. That everything and everyone, the point and purpose of all of it is the glory of God. But Jesus goes on in his prayer. And I love what Jesus does in his prayer. And I'm going to go really quickly through, I think, seven distinguishing marks in his prayer around what it looks like to actually be captured and glorify God. 
okay, if glory is the ultimate purpose, if glory is the ultimate goal of all things, including our life in this church, how in the world do we glorify God? How do we, how do we glorify God? And why does God need glory? Let me be very clear, friend. God does not need us to glorify him because he's lacking in anything. God is not lacking in anything. And if anything, I hope you heard me say that. With He is all good. He's all perfect. He's all holy. He's all of those things because he's glorious. However, how amazing is it that that God allows us to participate in bringing him glory? And Jesus goes, you want to know how I've done that? Disciples? Right? If you're going to be a disciple of me, listen, you follow my lead, Jesus says. And so we look at Jesus, and Jesus right here, acknowledging to the Father, he says this. This is the first thing. In verses 6 and 26 of John 17, he says, I have manifested your name. In verse 26, he says it like this. I have made your name, God, known to them. Now, if you look in your Bible, you will see, especially in the Old Testament, this idea where God says, because of my name or by my name, that's just another, or for my name's sake, that's just another way of saying, for my glory, for my glory. So the name of God is attached to his glory. So let, let's, let's, let's look at this. Do you remember that time um, in Exodus where Moses has the burning bush moment? And uh, the Lord tells him in that moment that he's going to go to Pharaoh and he's going to deliver a message. Remember that moment? Prince of Egypt, see the movie? Okay, that's your frame of reference, right? Read the book of Exodus. It's really great. Um, so he has this moment, and Moses goes, who am I supposed to tell Pharaoh sent me? And God discloses his name. Do you remember that scene? God goes, you tell Pharaoh, I am sent you. <laughs> like if I'd be Moses, I'd probably be a little sarcastic in that moment. Like I am? Like you think he's going to take me serious when I roll up to him and say, I am sent me? He's going to be like, I am telling you to get out of here, right? Like, I am going to kill you, right? Like, that's what I'm thinking is going to happen. But what we have to understand, in the Hebrew, when God discloses his name as I am, what he's communicating to Moses is this. You tell him that all-powerful, everything, wholeness sent you. And God goes, I am that. So in his name captures the whole essence of glory. And so what Jesus just said there in his prayer with his disciples is this. I have manifested your name, I am, to your disciples. So that is what glorifying God actually is, is it's mirroring back or reflecting back to God his image, who he is, his ethic, his nature, his attributes, all reflected back from you, from his creation to God. That is what glorifying God is. That's what Jesus says. That's what I've done. Father, I have shown these disciples in this world you. Um. I grew up in central Missouri, and uh, I, I love sports. A uh, little white kid loving basketball, right, in central Missouri. My, uh, my idol was no other than Michael Jordan, right? Michael Jordan, MJ. And so I would watch Michael Jordan. Every game I could, right, with our rabbit ears TV, I would watch Michael Jordan play. And I'd record him on VHS tape. I'd, I'd you know, get that time. I'd put it in and hit record, right? Some of y'all don't even know what that is, right? It's this, hey, anyway, it's this tape that was, anyway. Um, and I would go out, then I would watch it, and then guess what I'd do? I'd go out to the playground, I'd go out to recess, and my tongue was hanging out, right? 
I bit my tongue like 45 times trying to be Michael Jordan, right? And I, I'd cross over. I mean, I even remember that moment where it, it was Brian Russell, I believe, where, where Jordan pushed off. Or, I mean, he created a little space that's not a foul, right? He pushed off, and he hit that shot, and he won the game. Do you remember that? I remember watching that shot over and over again. Why? So I could imitate it. I'd go out there, I'd push my friends down, I'd shoot, and I'd airball it. But uh, I would just try to imitate him. Listen, why was I imitating him? Because I revered him. He was my idol. Now listen, with God, how are we ever going to reflect his image? What is required for us to reflect back to God, his image and his nature and his character? You have to know him. You have to know God. The reason I was able to poorly imitate MJ was because I'd watched tape over and over and over and over and over again. Listen, Jesus himself says this. Listen, I have taught my disciples you. How? 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 Verse number right here. Verse number 8. Verse number 14. Look at it. I have given them the words that you gave me. I have given them your word, Jesus says. There it is. How do we know God? How do we know what to mirror back to God? How do we know how to glorify him? His word. Now, Jesus, he himself was the word. That's what John chapter 1 tells us. Jesus himself was getting the word directly given to him by God himself. As Christians, as disciples, we are people of the book. How do we know how to reflect back and what to reflect back to God? How do we know how to bring proper glory back to God? How do we know what to mirror and what not to mirror? The book. The word of God is our instruction. It's what shows us the heart of God. Listen, we will never know how to glorify God apart from the word of God. That's why we teach it the way we do. That's why we peer into it. Even when we take a break from preaching through like 1 and 2 Samuel, we're still going through the text because we want it to go through us. Listen, we have to stop reading the Bible like a mere instruction manual on, okay, what, what's the next step to life? What's the next seasoning and spice that I put in? The Bible is not an instruction manual. The Bible is divine revelation from God to us about him, about his glory, and about his plan. And we get that, and we mirror it back. We live in light of that. How are we going to glorify God? We submit to his word. And the third thing. So we go quickly here. Verse 9 just struck me. Look at, look at your Bible. Verse 9. Jesus says, and this is, the whole, this is the whole thing at the beginning of verse 9. I'm praying for them. I'm praying for them. Like, how, how sweet is that? And now I know that um, Jesus, the Son of God here in this moment, is praying for his specific disciples. And he's saying, men, the men you gave me, he's praying specifically for them. But, but check this out. Look at me. That is still going on today for you and me as disciples of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is still praying. Romans 8.34 says that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. 1 John uh, chapter 2 says that Jesus is our advocate before the Father. Uh, Hebrews 7, a book that we just preached through recently that says that Jesus always lives to intercede to call out to God the Father for us right now. Let me tell you, disciple, let me tell us, church, that is really good news, that Jesus is praying for you and for me. Apart from his advocacy, apart from his intercession, we have no hope. And Jesus, I love in John 17, for his disciples and for us today, is going, I'm praying for them. I'm interceding. And listen, he doesn't pray like you and me. He doesn't get distracted. 
and he knows what words to use exactly, that his words are the words of God. Why? Because he's God. In verse 12, the fourth thing, he says, I've kept them in your name. I've guarded them. What does that mean? Well, if you track this back, remember, what, what, is, what is the name of the Lord? When he says, in your name, he essentially just said, I've kept them in your glory. I've guarded them with your glory. Now, does that have any other scripture bells going off in your mind? It should. That the glory of God is the safe place. Jesus is going, it's in your glory, God, that people find safety. That's Proverbs 8, verse 10, 18, verse 10. Look at what this says. The name of the Lord, or the glory of the Lord, is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. I hope this verse even has more of a context for you now. That the glory of the Lord is the safest place we can possibly be if we're in Christ. Notice it doesn't say every man and woman that runs into it, it's safe. No, it's those who are righteous. And how are we made righteous? Through Christ. And so the glory of God, when we find our shelter in it, we find safety. And so we understand this as whole life disciples is that we look, we have a tendency to look for safety and security in all these other avenues and areas. And let me tell you, the safest place is right in the middle of the glory of God. You thought I was going to say the will of God. No, the will of God is that you understand his glory and find shelter in his glory. That's the will of God. That's why it's safe. That's our heart. It's to see the shelter of God, to run into the shelter of God, because then we will be safe. The fifth thing, verse 17, as we just make our way through the text, Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. What does glory look like? How does glory play out in our lives? It looks like sanctification. He's going, Father, continue to grow them more and more into my image. Listen, a healthy, whole life disciple is someone who is continually growing more deeply aware of who God is and who they are in the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot sanctify yourself. It cannot happen with inside you in your self-effort, in your own power, your resolutions, or how good you are at keeping a list. It only happens by and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus goes, sanctify them. Sanctify them in your truth. And then Jesus makes a really profound statement in verse 19. He says, for their sake, I consecrate myself. Look at that. So he just goes, Lord, you sanctify them as disciples. Lord, I know what's going to bring you most glory is a sanctified, a growing deep disciple. But I, for their sake, have consecrated myself. Now, some of your Bibles actually put the, for the word consecrate, it actually says sanctify. So while you can't sanctify yourself, guess what Jesus just said? For their sake, I sanctified myself. Jesus was not sanctifying himself from sin. He was sinless. Jesus was, in other words, sanctifying or setting apart, consecrating himself so that they might know him and they might be saved. He was going, I'm going to set aside all the riches and all the glory and all the honor and the power and come to earth and live the life that they could not live and die the death they owed. This is the gospel. And Jesus goes, for whose sake? Wait, Kyle, this is all about glory. Oh, yeah, this is all about glory. You're right. For the glory of the Father, I did this for their sake. 
So it's almost like simultaneously God, Jesus is breaking down this idea of glory and going, listen, when you understand the glory of God, when you are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, you will also understand that your life is to be lived not just in glory to God, but in service to others, love of others, laying your life down. I mean, that's even what what he would say earlier, right? Like, how are people going to know you're my disciples? By your love for one another. And we're going to unpack that more in the coming weeks. And then finally, number seven. Seven points seemed appropriate, right? Verse 26. Jesus, at the end of this prayer, he says, I've made your name known to them, and I will continue to make it known. I'll continue to make your glory known. I'll continue to make your love known. What are we individually and corporately making known? Jesus says, I have one thing I want to make known, and that's the glory of the Father. That's his heart displayed in love. What are we making known? Now, individually, I want to ask you that. What are you making known in and through your marriage? What are you making known in and through your relationships, your parenting, how you conduct yourself at work, how you work? If you're a student at school, what's made known? When people peer into your life, what's made known manifest from your life? How about us as a church? How about us as a community of people placed here in McKinney, Texas? What do we make known? Do we make known a really good service? They really do a good service. Do we make known? It's okay to laugh at that. That was a joke, okay? Because that's not what we want to make known. Do we want to have a good service? You bet. Why? For the glory of God. Do we make known just a group of people who are really consistent? Listen, consistency is really important. It's really good. But that's not ultimately what we want to make known. What we want to make known is the name of Jesus Christ. We want the glory of God to be seen in and through this. And if we're not careful, if we're not constantly coming before the Holy Spirit, we will make the wrong things known. We will make the wrong things primary. And this whole life discipleship and this foundation setting for us is really to put things on the table. Some things are are good that need to go away. Right? There are some things that, that, and I don't mean things that we have going on, but things that we're involved in that are good, but aren't what the Lord's asking us to do. Maybe there are things that, that, that we're not doing that we should do. More than anything, what we want to communicate to a watching world is this, is that God is better. He's better than anything we'd pursue in this world. He's better than any security we'd want to latch on to. He's better, he's better, he's better. Are we making that known as a community? That's what we're passionate about. I hope and I pray that we haven't just settled for a mere cultural Christianity experience. That kind of experience, let me tell you, is one that is anemic, it's weak, and it will not sustain disciples of Jesus Christ. One of my greatest fears as a pastor is the idea that that people may be satisfied with with church. I'll even use the Parks Church. But be bored with Jesus himself and the glory of God. I'm convinced that maybe even people in this room, after hearing a sermon like this, will leave the church. Right? Like, it didn't give me enough because it still centers on you. Many of you maybe will find yourself leaving the church because, not because we've asked too much, but because we've asked too little and not enough of you. Maybe we've lowered the bar of discipleship so low that there is no longer any awe or fresh zeal in joining God in what he's doing. Bringing him glory. 
Glorifying God. You're like, Kyle, that is such a nice phrase. And here's what I, I just hate, that it might be so familiar that it's actually lost its power. And the enemy is like, yes. No, the glory of God is it. It's everything. It's what we're pointed to and what we're built upon. And something else that must be said about the glory of God that prophet Isaiah says in chapter 48 is that God's glory will not be shared with anything else. It will not be shared with another human. It will not be shared with another institution. It will not be shared with anything. It alone is exclusive to God. But how amazing is it that that God who will not share his glory has chosen to allow us to participate in the joy of bringing him glory. So hear me, God's glory, and this is where I'll end, God's glory is not just the ultimate goal or purpose of everything. God's glory is actually the ultimate good of everything and everyone. That God's glory doesn't just define who God is and maybe even a task ahead. It defines goodness itself. It defines the very endeavor your heart and my heart are searching for. What is good? What is good? What is good? And I can't think of a better place to end than Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that says this. It says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact imprint of God's nature. So when we think of glory, we don't have to think necessarily of just these ethereal thoughts or these emotions. We can look at Jesus and go, that's the radiance. That's the exact imprint. That's what God's glory manifested in a person looks like. I want to mirror that. We can look at what's good, and we don't just go, what's good is what feels right to me. We look at Jesus and go, that's what's good. And I pray over these weeks, what we're going to do is peer deeply into Jesus and see that's good. And many of you, you've done that. You've been on that journey a long time. And I pray that the glory of God would capture you again in 2023. Some of you, maybe even since 2020, have just kind of been floundering and looking or trying to get that footing back. Let me tell you, the footing is not back in some activity or some just, just ritual. It's back in understanding the glory of who God is and what he's inviting you to. That's whole life discipleship. And so we're going to come forward to these tables. And so, hosts, you can help me out by coming forward. We're going to come to these tables this morning again, as we do every week. And we're going to take the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that for this moment, that the glory of God would strike us. The awe of this would strike us. That we wouldn't squander this moment in distraction. But even as Dave just said, this moment where we would stop and be still for just a moment. And we take these things that display the glory of God like nothing else, that display his love toward us as we really examine our lives as disciples. So let me pray for us and then our hosts will help us. Holy Spirit, um, speak to our hearts right now. Lead us in communion. Show us the glory of God. Convict of sin move our hearts, shape our affections and our desires under the lordship of King Jesus. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Host, lead us.